This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 401. You can go home again. Hello and welcome to another edition of Games at Work.biz. This is Michael Martin, one of your two Michael-named co-hosts, and I'm joined today by um, the other Michael-named co-host, Michael. <laughs> Surprise! How are you? Surprise! I, I am well, Michael. How are you? Great. I'm glad um, to be here, and uh, we miss our, our third non-Michael co-host, Andy, but you know, you deserve a break We today. can just call him Michael. We could. We have. <laughs> we, we have. And he does deserve a break. That's for sure. Um, yes. So we, we have a, a, a little bit of a fun announcement to make as we're getting yes. ready on the 401st episode of said podcast. And uh, uh, Michael, why don't you do the honors? This is an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, so so we've, we've had the same logo pretty much since the founding of the podcast, uh, yep. which is our little Lego guy holding a briefcase. Uh, I believe... We actually, you know, paid uh, uh, massive amounts to a high, high, ta- highly talented photographer to take a picture in his driveway. I think that was you. That was me. <laughs> I think we I, paid our entire revenue for that year to you. Uh, to, well, well, I to did take use a picture. camera to for that, and you know, and had to yeah. probably develop the film at a Kodak Photomat or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so we we decided, uh, you know, after hitting episode four hundred, it was time for a little bit of uh, uh, some updates and. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, you'll be seeing our new logo and maybe even some changes to the website. But uh, it's kind of exciting stuff. Uh, really excited to uh, get everybody's feedback uh, once it's available. Yep. It's, it'll be a refreshed uh, and freshened kind of view. And who knows how long we'll keep it. My suspicion is we'll keep it for a little while. Yeah. yeah, at least another 400 episodes. <laughs> Could be. Could be. So, so uh, while you're waiting for that to show, um, let's jump into the stuff we have to talk about today starting off as one might expect uh, the metaverse metaverse so there's a, a venture beat article about metaverse standards coming and we've had a couple of conversations around this kind of thing here in the past uh, we, we did look at this earlier and there was the metaverse standards forum that we talked about uh, back in episode 372 we'll put a link there so you can find it but that um th- that's not this right what we're talking about here and today is something just a little bit different so michael walk us through why the linux foundation and is different than what we were talking about way back then well uh the the key thing here is the fact that it is the linux foundation um and and they've been working on standards for a significant amount of time uh i remember them working on um Oh God, I can't remember the name of the standard, but it was an IoT standards for home automation that was mm-hmm. sponsored by uh, Samsung and a whole group of partners. Uh, they've worked on uh, obviously Linux, uh, <laughs> uh, and and what's really exciting here is all the other groups that they're working with. So it's not a one-off thing, but it's a standards organization pulling together a whole group of different standards organizations uh, 
to to drive uh, a new standard for uh, for the for the metaverse. And my favorite quote actually of this whole article um, is uh, the statement by uh, the CEO of Gen XP, who is one of the members of this new partnership. Oh yeah, Vince uh, that McMullen. says you know what's that? Vince McMullen. <laughs> Yes, uh, that says the metaverse isn't some expansive VR headset or expensive VR headset. It's not an NFT. It's not even the th- Web 3.0. Uh, it's an open set of data standards that enables shared, accessible, persistent 3D experiences. And that goes right back to the heart of what we've been talking about for a long time about for it truly to become a standard, it has to be open and extensible so that you can integrate things across many different platforms, many different environments, just like the internet, right? The internet became important because there were multiple standards that made it easy to interact across multiple different tools and platforms, whether that was Gopher or Archie or NNTP or email or whatever, right? So so this is really about bringing that together through this Open Metaverse Foundation uh, to, to drive integrations and standards across a myriad of technologies that have all been kind of glommed into the category of the metaverse this is this is exciting stuff it's um i can't wait to see what they do with it but conceptually they're going down the right path in my mind that 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 makes a lot of sense i love that quote too michael i'm glad you read it and and the notion that the linux foundation is supporting this is a a big piece of work here too because now it's not tied to a particular technology stack it is intended to be open source from the get-go and allowing for that level of interoperability that we've been talking about on this particular podcast for a long yeah, time and, and and just some of the groups right the cloud native computing foundation uh-huh. uh, is one of the members uh, i've actually been looking at some of their stuff lately uh, around test automation right to, mm. you don't think about that from a from a a metaverse perspective, but for the CNCF, that's about how do you make cloud computing easier? Uh, edge and networking computing, uh, open voice networks, right? All these different components that independently have their own standards and together create a much more open, immersive standard, which is, if you think about what's the metaverse about? Open, yep. immersive environments. I was thinking about meta standards that are a conglomeration <laughs> of standards that. Come oh together no no don't don't but. take me down that path. I, I love that. It's like you know. <laughs> then you need an overarching standards that brings the standards together, and then you go. Oh, but there's a new thing. Well, that's different. So we need another new overarching standard. Means <laughs> and turtles all the way down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also like the functional interest groups. Uh, you know, just the nature of figs. You can have a fig yeah. tree. You know, with all yep, the figs. Yep, yep. You know, connecting. So um. Moving off the metaverse for a moment, anyway, um, there was a really intriguing article um, that was in our feeds from this week about the all the work and the hype around uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT and, and those sorts of things. And this particular article's title was Stop Feeding the Hype and Start Resisting. And reading through this and and having read all of the oh my gosh people are using chat gpt to do their college admissions let uh, uh essays or now re- representing work uh from chat gpt as their own in an educational setting um 
there was a whole range of, you know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's it's really terrible stuff countered on the flip side of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's really fantastic stuff. And look at all these fantastic things that can happen. This particular article is talking about don't feed into the hype. Go and from an academic and um, educational perspective, don't do all of the PR work for the open AI environment, but rather... Yeah come at it from an academically qualified perspective and look at, yes, there are advantages. Yes, there are disadvantages. And like any techno- technology, it's not inherently fantastic or terrible. It is how it's being used. Yeah, there, there are a couple of key interesting, key interesting things that happened this week. Uh, and I'll try to find the article, but I heard an article about you know somebody who wrote their own AI to help teachers uncover when things were written using AI. <laughs> yeah, yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so so basically setting up before, a GAN. This, is, this right? came out a right? couple of weeks ago, Michael. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah. You're setting up a GAN to, to comp- have them fight off. Uh, the, the other uh, interesting thing about this, uh, there was a discussion, I think it was on Daily Tech News Show uh, this week, and they were talking about um, if you treat it as a tool, right, mm-hmm. then logically you can represent the tweaked output as your work right think about it when when typewriters first came out uh there was there's a big thing about all these people who are losing their jobs because uh the the handwritten skills were not going to be valued anymore and these other people were just going to have the typewriters do it for them right but no you added right the typesetters lost it right um and and so in each of these examples what you have to understand is this is a tool if, if you just let the tool do things, you get just what the tool can do. But if you take that and, and you're working the prompt in order to tweak out or tease things out, or you take that as the input, whatever the output is, as the input to a creative endeavor that you're eventually going to modify and write to completion, uh, is it that different than some other technologies where you have a starting point, like a template. If you use a word template as an example, I'll just make this one up. If you use a word template for a business letter uh, and it has, you know, dear, fill in name, blah, 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 you know, lipsa orum or whatever you, that phrase is, uh, sincerely, your name. And you tweak that. Do you have to give credit to Microsoft because Microsoft Office had a template for a business letter? Right? Um I'm trying to take it to illogical extremes here, uh, but uh, but the idea is there is creative and intelligent work that could be done with it sure. as a foundation and then tweak from on the top of that. So now let me give you a very specific example. This week, uh, I was I was talking to a senior technical person mm-hmm. uh, about generating test cases, and there's actually a tool from the cloud native computing group uh, to um, use a uh, technology to dynamically extend unit test coverage by comparing the outputs of multiple other test generators. Okay. Okay. And so, so at, at the end, you have a set of unit tests that are supposed to be able to test some set of code. Well, we were looking at that, and I was seeing some problems with the generator of the output, and I said, you know, 
really want to figure out, is this good code or bad code? And this senior technical person said, oh, just go to ChatGPT and have it generate the unit test for you. And I shook my head. It's like, okay. It was, he was uh, the, the senior technical and, person And they were being joking, serious. Right? No, no they, they were being serious. Because no. I said, I don't know the language that these test cases that we're testing out. I don't know that. I don't program in that language. I program in Swift and Objective-C and a couple other languages. And I don't want to learn that other language. Uh, I really don't. And so, so he's like, oh, just generate it in chat GPT. And then you can uh, understand and compare. And I'm just, I'm, I shook my head because this says, one, they are buying into the hype. And two, I actually did try to run, generate some code with it. And it generated JavaScript by default. And I said, no, do it in Swift. And it basically used Swift, Swift syntax for the Java code, or sorry, JavaScript code. And it reminded me of years and years ago when, um, when people were converting apps from C right. to C++. And there were code generators or go, code translators. Yes. And basically, you ended up with, yes, it was syntactically correct in the new language, but it was but structured... It it would function, but it was structured in the same way as you would structure the code in the prior language. So you got zero benefit, and in many cases, it actually ran slower or worse because it didn't take advantages of the new functionality and features of the new programming language and the new architecture. And so, again... It's, a, it's good for feature. generating tool. It's a tool. It'll generate stuff. But unless you understand and tweak and and enhance things from an expert perspective, how much is it really adding? And that's yeah. the discussion that I think we need to be having right now of if I am re-architecting raw material into some full-blown output, a research paper, a unit test, or whatever – that's that's what needs to be looked at in a scientific and disciplined manner back to what the article is describing. So about six yes ands because you introduced about 12 different topics there. So, so maybe one or two of them quickly. One of them is language translation, just like code translation. I've got COBOL code and I'd like to run it on a modern computer, please. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. If the translation facility was designed to just translate the code and make it functional, but was not tuned to take advantage and optimize at the same time, yeah, that's what you're going to get. Just the same thing as if you take a phrase in German or Japanese and you translate it to another language, you might get the correct meaning of the individual words, but not necessarily the sentiment and the you experience evil pig it. dog. <laughs> well, whatever you want to translate, yeah, yes. exactly. So, so, so there's there's elements like that. Now, flip flip side of the world is using. Um, I, I think, uh, what, wasn't there a, a GitHub co-pilot or some sort of concept yeah. like this where you have your, your, your Jiminy Cricket, you know, maybe not as your conscious, but, you know, saying, hey, you're, you're trying to create this API. You're trying to, you know, engage this. You're, you know, wh why, why write why the write sort it from sequence scratch? again? 
because the sort sequencing has been done now plenty of times. You don't need to do it from scratch. So find it, take it, and and maybe even there's enough intelligence there to say, well, you know what, you tried to sort whatever you were doing this way. Here's a more effective and efficient way to go do it, even though you just reused a module. Well, that module is not suitable or as suitable for this particular use case. Use mm-hmm. this one instead, and here's why. So, hey, 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 Clippy, write me a unit test. But yeah, yeah. Now, the 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 intriguing other aspect of this article that that I was thinking about too is the feeding of the corpus, and that that relates to also a number of things that have been in the news also in the past couple of weeks, which is Getty if you images. are harvesting Getty <laughs> images or you're harvesting particular artwork or faces or text or audio or whatever you're harvesting and that wasn't explicitly granted in that fashion now all of a sudden that intellectual property is being used for other purpose than it was originally shared licensed uh, however and that's potentially problematic especially especially for the creators of that intellectual capital mm-hmm. so that that is really really challenging too so being thoughtful about what you plug into the model has got to be important and i have to imagine michael (laughs) with your recent experience here too uh, you took some audio from our prior podcasts and tried to put it into a similar model and get some output didn't you well this is this is the great thing and and uh when we were chatting about this earlier in the week not chat uh, you, you 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 brought that up right <laughs> yeah. uh you, you said i'm worried about you know uploading our our content uh and it being used in the corpus well uh what we're talking about here is Whisper, which is, again, another project under OpenAI, uh, which takes any audio and will generate a transcript from it. Uh, and I had heard about this on another podcast. The guy's like, you know, what he's done, because he does so many podcasts over the years, is he runs Whisper on his output so that he can always go back and say, yeah, I talked about that on this other podcast at such and such date. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Which is a great way of doing it. Well, Whisper has a, um, a bunch of, it generates language models that interpret audio text and spits out a transcript. Um, there are multiple GitHub repos out there uh, built off of the uh, OpenAI Whisper GitHub uh, that have actually taken the language models right. and created standalone desktop applications that do not provide any data back to the corpus which is what I downloaded. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I actually ran it against episode two of games at work.biz <laughs> in its entirety, which um, it, the, the, the challenge is the transcript is a pure transcription. Mm-hmm. So it does not distinguish between speakers. Uh, and, again, small matter of programming, right? Well, you know? uh, and and uh, Andy and I were chatting back and forth on this, and it's like, well, I've got all the raw audio files. Yeah, so you could so, have put so in a I feed from Andy. So I could run Andy. each of them independently, right. and then you would have your transcript, I'd have my transcript, and Andy would have his transcript. Now, that causes other issues because um, <laughs> it doesn't line them up. Mm-hmm. Right? So it would be, here's everything Michael said, with big gaps of silence, silence. Silence. 
So, so uh, having a a tool that does both, which by the way exists today um, in in my day job, uh, we use WebEx, and if you turn on transcriptions on WebEx, it will actually identify speaker by speaker what they said. Right. Well, uh, it's pulling in an audio file, isn't it? An audio feed from the speaker, so it's it knows which one. Understanding exactly, it. and it's doing the transcription at the. I think it's capturing it and flagging things when it's building the files that then get transcribed. So, again, interesting stuff. The transcription engines are getting better and better and better. Well, we know that there are other companies that have cracked this particular problem too. In fact, um, we know that Apple from a, um, I won't use the word right now so I don't wake up a device, uh, can recognize different members of a household when you are issuing a particular command and then therefore it might know it's your music library versus another person of your household's music library. So, so I have a question about that because there, there, there's, you know, any advanced enough uh, technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Yeah. Um, if you think about what they're doing, are they truly doing voice recognition and identifying unique people or are they identifying since you've got a microphone on your watch and a microphone on your phone and a microphone on the on the home pod and a microphone on your laptop and a microphone on your desktop and a like microphone on your tv controller right all these devices with the microphones on them um, are they just identifying and triangulating that this phone is closer to you than me, so it's probably you talking based off of the latency of the sound file bouncing between the devices, right? Could very well be. We don't have the code, so we don't know. Ah, but, but the code to the Lisa operating system has been released this week. Oh, it has? Yes. Cool, so we can build our own Lisa if we wanted to? Yes. Nice. Anyway, I didn't mean to digress on that, but you, you, you said the magic word. <laughs> Lisa. Yes. Uh, well, so so we're, we're on to um, a couple of articles that we've had kicking back and forth here. Um, longtime listeners of the, know, of the show will know that uh, both Michael and Andy made fun of me for getting a HomePod early on. And... Um, and I was very excited about it when I did, and I enjoyed it very much. And and since then, uh, they've joined me in the HomePod world, albeit with minis. But this many, week, many, many minis. <laughs> yeah, many minis, many minis. Uh, but this week, the original form factor tweaked and updated for 2023 has been announced and released, and you can now get uh, a big old HomePod again for the price of 299, which was what it was a couple of years ago. Well, it was for, 359, or it was 359, but then went down. Right, right, because they couldn't sell them, <laughs> and now they can sell them again. <laughs> yeah. So but I, no, no, I, I don't think I ever made fun of you. It's just oh, it was expensive. On. Yes, you did. <laughs> it, uh, well, it was expensive, but it was cheap for what it was and what it did. It did exactly what you needed it to do. Was really, really and, good. And I remember that you used to do movie parties and you'd bring it outside, and it yep. was great for that. Yeah, well, during the pandemic, that yeah. was a great way for the kids to actually have a late night movie projector on a big screen short throw projector hooked into an Apple TV hooked yep. into the home pod. So we could power with one home pod, yeah. a movie experience for, you know, five, six socially distanced kids. Uh, and they loved it. And it was yeah. really good for that purpose. Yeah. I, I think it's amongst great. others. Yeah. yeah. 
so so the articles are talking hey it's been announced and available so that's good um there, there's some 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 different things about temperature and other sensors which incidentally are in your HomePod minis, right? Exactly. And and uh, one of the things I've I've really enjoyed on HomeKit is over the years I've had two different uh, temperature and humidity devices that allow me to kind of identify the temperature outside. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you know those individual devices are as expen almost as expensive as a HomePod Mini. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, because the HomePod Mini is $100 uh, in, in our market. Yeah, and those right? devices, 99. I think, yeah. was 79 when I first got the one, and the current one was 59 So, So yes. it's like crazy, crazy, crazy. So the home automation opportunities there with humidity sensing and temperature yeah. sensing now allows for some you know even more interesting things to be done. Um, so we'll see where it goes. And, gosh, new MacBooks, uh, M2s, all kinds yes. of good fun stuff also announced this week, right? Which which I'm looking forward to because I've held off, right? Um, the held M1 off. looked really nice, and the M2 is even nicer. And uh, due to some hand-me-down issues that need to occur, uh, yep. problems with my parents' old one, they're getting my current one, and the M2 is on its way. Yay! And now, now, did you go like you know all the way off the charts with a Max or a Pro? Or I didn't max it out. Mm. <laughs> but let's put it this way: uh, you proed the, it out. The the memory and the storage is equivalent to my maxed out 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, the the major differences are two and a half times faster. Than my current machine at the bottom end of things <laughs> and up to 20 something times faster at the high end well the new chipsets just uh i watched the video when you yeah. shared it and it's it's pretty rock and amazing and eventually uh i will be upgrading too it will take a little while because i'm working off of a 2014 uh, MacBook Pro at the moment, which, you know, kudos to the build quality of that particular box. It is yep. crunching and doing and still performing what it needs to do. So um, hopefully I'll be joining you soon. Yes. So um, <laughs> this next story was a really fun one around uh, anybody who knew about modems uh, and used them back in the day. And uh, this this dot uh, com uh, description of what it is that it sounds like, what are the individual components, and the ability to get a big old poster picture if you wanted of the sound waves, so that you knew what's the handshake. You're you know removing the duplex kind of elements. I, really really cool stuff, Michael. Yeah, I I found this in in one of my Mastodon feeds, um, and I I used to run a bulletin board. And I had, uh, I think originally a 28.8 modem and maxed it out at 56K modem. Wow. Uh, and, uh, Overclocked uh, it, right? Well, no, no. I upgraded <laughs> modems over time. Um, oh. I think my, my first modem was 300 baud. <laughs> so from 300 to 56,000, right? That's the, the range of modem speeds I had over the years. Um, but yeah, the... I, I found this so fascinating because the the sound that the modem would make, uh, actually, you know, debugging it and showing for people who may have heard it but never realized what it was doing during the handshake, I thought this was really really cool. And and the best thing 
if you remember those days, uh, where it was midway through the handshake and somebody else picked up the phone line and went, hello, and killed your handshake and you had to start over. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good stuff. So listen to that. You'll you'll enjoy it. Um, yes. All right. We're, we're getting close on time for everybody, but we have a couple of more things that we wanted to talk about. And one of them was, uh, Michael, one from a developer perspective yes. that you were intrigued by. And, th- and this relates to another Mastodon uh, story. It's an ice, it's ice cubes. It's one of the clients. Yes. So this, let's this is really that. cool. Uh, Andy and I were talking about this, uh, you know, a couple of weeks back, we talked about it on the show uh, that I was going to set up a local Mastodon server because I was going to try to add um, support for the Fediverse on my wasted time application. Kind of like a bulletin board, but in 2023. Yes. <laughs> and and so so I, I started working on that and got the instance set up, but it was kind of, you know, a hassle to learn all the APIs, et cetera. And Andy goes, oh, you ought to check out this this client called Ice Cubes who has their entire code base on GitHub. Uh, and what was funny is I, I went to go do that. And then there were all these articles about Apple denying Ice Cubes to be available from the App Store. The guy was just released it and they were saying, nope, you can't do it. You're just feeding a bunch of web pages. Right, you're 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 duplicating functionality or whatever, um, and so this article actually goes through that code rejection and uh, ultimate no, it's not a rejection and publishing of the Ice Cubes app. But what's really cool is if you want to learn about the APIs for integrating with a Mastodon instance, the code's available. You can go to GitHub and look at the code for Ice Cubes, which is a very cool, no pun intended. Uh, uh, Mastodon application, uh, really, really neat functions, um, fast. Uh, there's another one that people have heard about called Ivory, which is from the Tweetbot people, I believe. Uh, yes. That that's uh, currently on test flight in beta for people. Uh, I've been playing around with that one. Another excellent job of an application. I. Th- it, it reminded me, which is actually this article in Daring Fireball says it the same way. We're at that stage in this ecosystem where because it's an open and open API environment, it's really exciting to see what people do with it and how all this stuff is coming together to create new and exciting things. And that takes us all the way back to our first story on the metaverse about setting up an open API set of standards to see what flowers will grow in this exciting startup of an ecosystem. Yes, very cool. And and I just got the ice cubes up and running on my my phone now, so I'm gonna be excited to work our way through it. Um, closing out for the show here, we have a 3D printing story, uh, one that's a little bit different than our normal 3D printing stories. This one is 3D printing a human body part. Yeah, this I thought this was really exciting. Uh, we've talked about 3D printing for a very long time, and and our co-host Andy's recently gotten into 3D printing, so he's been digging up articles. There's there's a um, a I don't know. Would you call it a disease? Uh, there's a condition that some people have that they're born without the outside of their ear. Uh-huh. Um, and for for the longest time, there's not really been a lot of um, surgical or other techniques to improve that, right? Uh, the, the most 
effective, I guess, would be building implants based off of tissue from other parts of the body and manually right. building up some structure uh, because, you know, the shape of your ear actually helps sound waves come into and hit your eardrum, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what, what this company has done, um, is it 3D Bio or something like that? I'm trying to remember. I, I saw the name and I'm... 3D Bio, yes. yes. 3D Biotherapeutics is they are... 3D printing using um, cells graft from the, cells from the yeah, from the the cartilage from the body of the yeah. person who needs the ear and printing an actual 3D ear uh, for surgery to be implanted on the person's head to greatly improve uh, the likelihood that it'll work and it'll last. I think this is really exciting. These are the, some of the innovations we've talked about for a long time about 3D printing ultimately changing how we do things. Uh, and I, I found this to be uh, extremely exciting. Very early trials. Who knows if it'll take off long term. Um, and we don't want to feed that hype either. But I think it's exciting to see this type of advances with 3D printing. Yeah, it, it is definitely along the lines of the mass personalization that 3D printing does allow. And yep. there's nothing more personal than part of your body. I was about to say, than a body part. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that gets us, I think, to the end of our show for this week. And I'm hopeful that everybody enjoyed it. We love to get your uh, cards, letters, virtual, of course. Uh, you could do that on Michael's Mastodon a bulletin board, maybe, or you yeah. have a number of other ways of getting to us. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about, what you're seeing is creative and interesting. Get it into our feeds, and we will bring about the the full power of the co-host team here to be able to have those conversations next time on gamesatwork.biz. See ya. been listening to games at work.biz the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band random encounters for their song big blue you can follow us on twitter at games at work underscore biz or at our website at games at work.biz. dot